I like to um, the character Undertaker because it's it's all that energy and strength that that's kind of contained, but you let it out at the right time. It's first. Yep. I, I'm a firm believer in less is more, as far especially with with, with my character. And, and and when I when I talk to young guys, I love that. Yeah, I, they 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 think, you know, so they think, okay, well, I can do. And the athletes today are they're off the chart. Yeah, they I are. Mean, they're just ridiculous how athletically talented, uh, you know, the, the men and women are mm. to, for that matter. But they rely. See, so wrestling. And sports entertainment, the, the, it's not about it's not about the moves. It really isn't. Okay. It, it, it's it's being able to to evoke emotion in one facet or another. I, you have to either make people love you, or you have to make them hate you. Either way, and it doesn't matter really which one. It, yes. You know, I mean, certain people like to be hated, and other people like to be loved. It, but if you can't. You know, if you can't bring that emotion out of your audience, you're not going to have them for long. Welcome back to another edition of Wrestling is Trash. I'm going to be upfront and honest with you right now. This is, uh, what is this, episode nine? We almost 14. At, yeah, we almost at 10. And, uh, Dude, WrestleMania 9 was the worst WrestleMania of all time, so this is the most appropriate episode for me ever. Sweet. You know, I mean, you're hearing a, a preview of my guests right here. But um, I just recorded an episode a couple hours ago with uh, King Ajar. Um, you, you're going to hear it before this one. And it's all been done in the same day, the Marine Corps birthday, November 10th. And I am a couple of alcoholic beverages to the wind. As um, I record from that last episode to this episode, so it might get a little interesting. Um, I'm hold on, let me take a swig for the working man, as Stone Cold would say. <sighs> Thank you. And um, yeah, quick uh, production notes before we get started proper. Um, this is wrestling this trash, and you could be a part of the show. It's fan-driven. Actually, it's me-driven because I feel like talking about wrestling with various people. So deal with it, motherfuckers. Um, but you can be a part of the show if you're listening to this. And you can submit your questions to the show to be read and answered with all this knowledge, all this uh, know-how and uh, stick to itiveness. I don't even know if that's the right place to put that word, but I'm drunk, so fuck it. Um, you can be a part of the show by following wrestling trash on twitter and uh tagging your questions with the hashtag wit talk that's w-i-t-t-a-l-k you can also send mail electronic mail email in case you didn't know what the e in email was is electronic god damn it so you can send mail to mail at wrestlingistrash.com and you can send voicemails with your questions and your general thoughts of professional wrestling to 304-825-5762. And if you look up the letters for those numbers, that's 304-TALK-ROB. <laughs> My guest, finally, I heard you talking. I hear you breathing in the background. You, you, I, I hear your bated breath. You, you're just sitting there chomping at the bit with anticipation to get into some professional wrestling. You have a new <laughs> Japan. You have a new Japan 20 count to introduce yourself and how... Did you become 
uh, entranced or come to know professional wrestling? Your 20 count starts now. I'm the villain from Denver. Um, how I became entranced with pro wrestling was probably WrestleMania three when I saw Hogan slam Andre. But I'd have to say my biggest WrestleMania moment was the first one I ever got to watch live, which was WrestleMania six. Word, you didn't even take your whole twenty seconds. I can. I know. <laughs> but what's been going on? In your world of professional race, uh, how about to say racing, <laughs> wrestling, professional racing? Well, you know, I make a lot of left turns. I occasionally make right ones. Yeah. And you always got to make the right turn, whether it's in life or wrestling or racing. You got to make that right turn. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've kind of hit a point with wrestling where it's like I found my own little happy place. Mm hmm. I'm not a WWE fan because I'm not a fan of the company. I'm a, I love the wrestlers. I couldn't love the wrestlers more because I think they're all, I think they're some of the best in the world, if not the best in the world. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a fan of the stories the company tells. So I go places and I find better stories. Like right now I'm really digging uh, beyond is killing it right now. Um, and I've been kind of, bouncing around on uh powerbomb tv to catch up on some other southern indies they've got a ton of just like little lucha stuff now and not, not it's to, kind of fun to pop in and check stuff out not to spoil to throttle your momentum but powerbomb uh tv is a, yeah. a affiliate of here of wrestling is trash so if you go on amazon you i think it's a, a slight part of your amazon prime subscription and um, if you just want to get it on the strength of it, you can get it for five ninety nine a month. You get all types of uh, different professional wrestling and everything. And I've been enjoying it since um, they became an affiliate of Wrestling is Trash. So, boom, Power Slam TV. Look it up on your Android and freaking Apple devices. It's, it's some good shit. Well, you just got two promos in there. You went from Powerbomb TV to Power Slam TV, which is two totally different services that both offer pro wrestling. So, hey, man. congratulations on the twofer. Like, that was awesome. Hey. Because it was totally unten unintentional product placement. I appreciate that. It's one of them motherfuckers because I'm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, hold on. Let me let me pull up my iPad. Wh which one I got uh, on this motherfucker? Oh, it's, po it's Power Slam TV. There it is. Pro <laughs> Wrestling Network. That's the one I got. Which yeah. I was able to watch WrestleMania. Um, it was a breast cancer awareness show that they did. All the proceeds of the show went to uh, breast cancer awareness. And this is where I got to see the tag team of Kara Hogan and Joey Ryan. And also, I got to see match number two in the series of Brian Cage and Tessa Blanchard. Brian Cage, which of one, has been a guest on the Random Rambles with Rob podcast. So go back and look up that episode. Cage is great, man. Like it, that's the thing. It's like th there's so much good wrestling now that like literally I'm still finding stuff. Like I'm still in the process of like finding links on Twitter and like checking out new things. Like I think this year I think I've watched wrestling from like maybe 20 countries. Yeah. And I mean like from all over the place. I mean from Guys literally wrestling on mattresses like in Brazil to rings in Hungary to rings in Germany to rings in Southeast Asia that are not labeled 
country-wise. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating to see kind of how global this is. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of neat that regardless of like where you're from and what you do, like this may be a part of your world, and that that to me is pretty awesome. Yeah, and just to like kind of touch upon what you were saying, I think when you were on um, the Random Rounds with Rob, we spoke about that, and you kind of opened my eyes to a lot of independent wrestlers like Keith Lee, who shit is now with the the machine, and um, yep. now we got a uh, Matt Riddle that's there, and you know, Dijak's there. Dijak and, and, I mean, that's why right now with Powerbomb TV, like beyond right now. They actually threw a show called Probably Someone's Farewell because that's how much talent that they booked with regularity that they've sent to NXT over the last, like, four years. Yeah. I mean, uh, think of it from this perspective. Guys that worked there fairly regularly. uh, Dijak, Lee, Riddle. Uh, Biff Busick, uh, better known as Oni Lorcan. Yeah, I like that dude. Uh, Danny Birch. Um, I said Dijak already, but mm-hmm. like half the uh, incoming female roster. I mean, it's it's the amount of talent that they that passes through that place in a given month is crazy, mm-hmm. and they're always bringing new people in. Like they did an entire show this like was it last month that everybody on the show had to pick a first time opponent that was a first time performer at beyond. Mm -hmm. Like if they wanted to bring someone in to wrestle, like they just pointed at the person and they, that's who got booked in. So you had a bunch of established talent that was shocker helping get over new talent. Yeah. So it keeps the process going. So when the older talent has to go on its way out, you've got other people to fill those slots. And that's how it should be. Yeah. But then you run into a problem. Then you get to the WWE and then you have a main event that the combined age does 206. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it will never stop being less funny to me that the WWE ran promos for weeks, ran vignettes for weeks, making fun of crazy Ted and old Hogan and, uh, and the macho man and all the, these quote unquote, old folks home and i'm going like dude hogan was like 42 maybe 43 and savage is a year younger and so regardless of those two guys if they were 42 42 and 43 or 41 and 42 they were still seven years younger than triple h who was the youngest guy in the match Yeah, it's it's really sad because it's like because there are people there that could be stars that they're just not getting the opportunity or if they are getting the opportunity, uh, it's not the right opportunity. Yeah. And it bums me out that like you've got these guys that just won't go away. It's like the Undertaker. Dude, I love you. Like I grew up with you. But I grew up with you. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, I watched you wrestle in your debut when I was in the seventh grade. I'm now almost 40. Go away. (laughs) Like, I I love The Undertaker, but dude, I don't ever need to see you wrestle again. 
Mm-hmm. I never even need to see you step in a ring again. Just for the love of God, stop opening social media accounts. Yeah, I don't think that's him. I think that's his old lady doing that. Dude, I don't know, but it's like one of those things where it's like I saw the advertisement, which I think is going to be an amazing uh, event where uh, the Undertaker is going over to the UK to kind of do a question and answer session, kind of a spoken word thing, Yeah, which I think will be fascinating because, dude, if there are stories in anyone in the wrestling industry, it's the Undertaker. Yeah, And then it, it, it doesn't matter how old or how new these stories are. We never heard from this guy. So it's all going to be interesting. There you go. We don't have 97 shoot interviews to look back on. Mm-hmm. Like, it, but at the same time, it's also one of those things where I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, the Undertaker doesn't do speaking engagements. That's Mark Calloway. Yeah. Please call him Mark Calloway because the Undertaker doesn't do that. Like, did you see? And, that, did you see that most recent interview that he had? It was like 37 minutes long and he was just talking in his plain voice. He had plain clothes on and he was just talking about, you know, how he'll just give for the business as long as his body will allow him to. Have you seen that interview? No, I haven't. But you know what I would like to say? I mean, the thing is, is it's like, it's funny that like, you know what I want to see the undertaker do retire. (laughs) Well, if he wants to stay involved in the business. Okay. Like, if he wants to help get guys over and stuff like that, like, if that's what he wants to do, I want The Undertaker to reform the ministry. (laughs) Like, reform the ministry. Like, build some of these guys up to be legit monsters. Like, put Braun Strowman with him and Kane. Yeah. Like, like, and you know what? Like, they don't ever have to appear in front of the cameras. They can be backstage vignettes. You could film 40 of them at a time, and they could go and do retirement stuff for as long as they want. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to bring them in for the Big Four or WrestleMania or whatever, great. But I can't miss you if you don't go away. Exactly. And, you know, I've, I've spoke about this ever since episode one has been um, talked about again and possibly episode two. It's been covered in all eight of these episodes that's currently out right now at some point to where somebody has said or mentioned or we even went on a rant like we did just now about this motherfucker needing to go home. And, you know, it's just that like, you know, I said it before. You just said it. It's the same thing. Uh, we 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 on the same page. We're singing the same tune. Nothing but respect for this man. Nothing but you know adulation. Nothing but good things. You know are attached to this man in our wrestling fandom. He's been wrestling longer than and as long as I've been watching professional wrestling. You know he's always been a big part of it. He's been a part of my childhood, my adulthood, everything. But I am emotionally invested. I am ready to let this motherfucker go. It's like that one relative that you know that's been hanging around for so long and you know they got all these ailments and they sick and all whatever the fuck is wrong with them. And you just sitting there waiting for that phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever time of the day it is that like this motherfucker is dead. And And you're like and at the same time you're like there's a level of relief there. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> because you're like, you know what? Like, it sucks that they're no longer present, but at the same time, 
they had X, Y, and Z going on, and you know what? They they had this and this, and it's like, okay, cool. They're not in pain anymore. I'm down yeah. with that any day of the week. I don't know, man. But um, but I mean, the thing with him is just like, I think the Undertaker could still be a good storyteller. Yes, that's why I think that like. For the love of God, have him abduct Bray Wyatt, mm-hmm. like, and rip him off TV for six months, and have him come back in like more of a preacher gimmick or something, mm-hmm. and have him be the ministry. Like, it's it's right there. They can make the spooky guy, and. And, like, you know what? Like, if you want to piggyback those two things together, you know who else you debut in the ministry? Alistair Black. Ooh, I like that. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm looking at it and going, like, okay, like, if you have to utilize him, like, please don't make him wrestle. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't need to see that anymore. I'm good. Yeah. I mean, man, there's so much stuff. I could say about this dude, but it would be, I don't know, maybe we'll do an Undertaker edition one day, (laughs) but that's not tonight. Um, Yeah. Quick production note before we start rolling into um, our questions. Um, At any time, if you've heard on the past seven episodes, this is episode number eight or nine, one of the two, I I forget math right now with the alcohol in my system, but um, there's a thing that we have called the promo in the bank. And at any given time, you know, me and this man has discussed uh, two topics off air that uh, at any time that we can spring upon each other, um, cashing in our promo in the bank. And uh, we have to cut a 60 second promo on this topic. We don't necessarily have to believe in what the topic is. It's just a topic of discussion and we have to cut a promo on it. So I just wanted to throw that out there for you who may be listening in case, you know, it happens <laughs> and we I had to sit here You're like and wait, what? some random shit. I know I, I had, I feel, I, well, I know I'm obligated. I, I'm obligated to tell you this because there's been a couple episodes in all nine of them that I've recorded so far to where we just started ranting about some shit. And I was just like, I didn't explain why the fuck I was ranting about shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, that, that's, that's the part of the gimmick, man. It's a, it's, it's cool. Yes. But, um, <laughs> I have two questions. I didn't even pre-read these, so forgive me if um, the alcohol and my regular brain is mixing together and fucking this up. <laughs> the first question comes from Main Event Swerve. And um, his question is... Uh-oh. Hold on. Alcohol break. Mrs. B. Rob is in the building. She's cashing in her alcohol in the bank privileges. <laughs> I got to open this bottle. <laughs> no worries. There we go. It's open. Cold bottle of DeSorono. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Can I get a little bit of that, please? Just a little bit. It's right here. My cup's right here. This is this is riveting audio. We're going to keep it going. Oh, you just see the thing is, is you got to get the microphone all the way up to the glass so they can hear it splashing off the ice. It's like, there it is. All right. That's good. We're going full commercial, man. I don't. I don't even have ice in my glass. It's just straight alcohol. Oh, you're just getting drunk. It's my, like you're past the fancy part. You're just ready to get drunk. Yeah, my wife just told me she's like, oh. "You'll be all right." <laughs> <laughs> I 
No, let me take a swig for the working man before I get into this question. Ooh. 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 It's like syrup. Like it. All right. Question comes from Main Event Swerve. That's uh, my man, Mike. Me and him shared uh, a bedroom in New Orleans, not like in the same bed, but in the sense that he didn't have a place to stay. I told him to come stay with me, and I brought an air mattress, and I blew that bitch up, and he slept on it. Then we went to Walmart the next morning. <laughs> hey. Dude, man, it's cool. It's 2018, man. I accept you regardless. It's all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, what would you do to, in parentheses, uh, quotations, spice up the United States title to make it more interesting? Defend it more often? Bigger feud? A new champion? And um, uh, for one, uh, promo in the bank is uh, as far less advertised yet far more interesting than that okay <laughs> uh so what they're saying uh, what mike was saying in parentheses here i guess it was just like his own cliff's notes um he enjoys the promo in the bank and is uh far less advertised <laughs> but it's uh interesting that's why i had to say what i said a little while ago but uh yeah what would you do to spice up the um, united states championship make it more relevant bring it to the forefront give it some pizzazz some snap some pop Who's the? I mean, okay. Here, this is where this is gonna get really sad. Yeah, Who's the current U.S. champ? Yeah, I, I, you know, this is another thing I had to bring you up to speed because I know you're not really in per se. The oh wait, does that Nakam? Does Nakamura still have it? Yes, Nakamura still has. Okay, it. and excuse me, sir. Excuse me. It's not Nakamura. It it's is Nak America. Exactly, is the okay. president of Nak America. That's how you will address him. That's how he will be addressed on this show. Until further notice. <laughs> I mean, to me, the unfortunate part about the Intercontinental title and the U.S. title is they've always they've always kind of not done what those titles should have been used for. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, those are kind of workhorse belts. Those are TV belts. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but the problem is, is it's like, and this is something where it's like, I heard somebody say this a couple weeks ago and it made total sense. Cause it, I, it never really clicked with me. It's like, why are people hating on these views by the time you get to the pay-per-view? It's because they've seen either two screw finishes or a 50, 50 booking and a screw finish to get us here. Mm-hmm. Or even, so the thing is, is we've seen every possible outcome before we get to the pay-per-view. Yeah. Or even the competitors before the title was even involved had like X amount of matches beforehand. And see, that's the unfortunate aspect of the WWE is the fact that their talent is severely overexposed mm-hmm. because they because Vince has his guys, the people he trusts. Yeah. And very rarely does people do people come inside of that. Like to me, like take one of your successful NXT writers that's doing good work. And have them write something special for the U.S. title. Have them write a feud for Nakamura. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, because they're not going to do less with the title than what they're doing with it right now. I mean, it, I had to legitimately think about who held it, and I like Nakamura. Yes. I love that. So, I mean, to me, it's like the issue that they have is every promo's hollow. It's like everybody's delivering lines. It's like watching a stage production. It's not like watching a wrestling show because some of the stuff I love about wrestling is is the promos that are not necessarily intentional that become legendary. 
Mm-hmm. Like the Steiner math promo. Like I will <laughs> pop every time I hear that promo. Okay. The crash, the plane promo by the ultimate warrior before WrestleMania six, like that promo, I can tell you half of it because it's that memorable because no one could have written that because the only person that could have written that had to have been on more steroids than they had blood in their body. (laughs) I mean, that was the only way you were going to get that promo. The promo on TV was crash the plane. Hogan. It's like how like, dude, when was the last time you just saw something just Bat shit crazy on WWE TV. Like, something like that. Mm. Like, I mean, Randy Savage cutting the promo on Tito Santana about the cup of coffee in the big time. Yeah. I mean, that was something that Savage came up with. And it was original, and he delivered it because he believed in it because it was his. And what's funny about that, you you talk about iconic promos or memorable promos or whatever thing. You brought up that Macho Man in the cup of coffee promo in the last episode with King Ajar. You know, you know, we cashed it. I cashed in on him and I gave him the tune of the Macho Man Randy Savage, and he mimicked that promo with uh, the topic that I gave him. So I mean, it, that goes to say, you know, that how memorable of a promo or how big of a impact that promo had on a professional fan's life. Because it's one of those. It's because at that point, talent was allowed to be talent. Yeah. Talent could go out and do something to differentiate themselves. They could cut that promo in their mirror a hundred times. So when they got to the pay-per-view, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is now they're having these writers who are not wrestlers that are that are making these wrestlers use words that you know they would never use. Mm-hmm. Like suffering succotash. <laughs> Oh my God, dude. I mean, but it's just one of those things where you're sitting there going like, like, okay, cool. Like Ryback feed me more. Like I totally believe that from Ryback. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that Ryback reads the secret. (laughs) Like where did that come from? This guy is a monster. He looks like a steroid with eyes. I mean, and you're having him read, uh, you're having him quote a self-help book? What are you doing? See, and with things with, you know, instances like that or whatever, it's just like, I feel that, you know, when the WWE, you know, they choose up and they spit out, you know, so many of these uh, athletes, these characters or whatever, it's just at a point to where they're like, all right, just go out there and speak your truth. You know, I mean, Ryback the character versus Ryback in that promo are two different people. And that was, you know, a glimpse into his personal life and how he feels about his injury at the time and all the other stuff, how he felt about professional wrestling. And I felt like that was WWE was like, man, we don't know what the hell to do with you. Just go out there and say whatever the fuck comes to your mind. And And see, but that's the problem. It's like, dude, go out there and talk. And then the next week I'm going to hand you a script. Yeah. So the thing is, is basically now, now that you've gone out and talked, I'm going to try to write in what you talked about, but I only kind of halfway watched it because I didn't write it. So I'm not going to pay that much attention to it. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase it best. And next week, you're the weird secret guy. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, no, you missed it. Yeah. 
And it, it was weird about that is like I dug Ryback and you know they fucked up his character. They they let him down so many different twists and turns down his uh, career path. It fucked him up. But you know, toward the How end, many before he, they le- done that too in yeah, the last ten years. Every, they done it to everybody. But um, before you know, he finally left from WWE or whatever. I was digging his work, man. Um, I was at the WrestleMania dude, the, when him and Kalisto had the um, the pre-show dude, match, and nobody the was pre-show the stopper belt popped me so hard, yeah. dude. That was the most memorable thing I yeah. ever saw Ryback do. Yeah, and um, him and Kalisto had a good match, but unfortunately, nobody was in the fucking arena to see it. Because that was man. the year they had the jacked up ticket scanners, right? Yeah, I was there. So, I was Yeah, there was nobody there. I remember that I remember the hard camera side of the arena. There was like it seemed like there was more staff than there were people at that point. Yeah. And that bummed me out because that was actually a really good match. I mean, that was probably one of Ryback's best. Exactly. Because he was out there with a guy who could go faster than maybe Ryback was comfortable for. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Ryback was an amazing base for Kalisto. Yeah. And Ryback knew his role in that match. And he I shut mean, his mouth. He knew his role and he shut his mouth. Well, <laughs> but, but the thing is, is at that point, Ryback was already two feet out the door. Exactly. I mean, he didn't care. He knew the end was nigh. I mean, that, and that's unfortunately when you see some of these guys' best work. Mm-hmm. Like, in my opinion, it would be beneficial for the WWE to book talent for two years and then give that talent a year at, say, 50% of whatever their pay is and their merch money and have them go work on the indies, have them go work globally, anything but be on TV every week. And you know what, you you bring up that point, and I kind of see that with NXT. Because uh, right now, the Street Profits, uh, with D'Angelo Dawkins and uh, fucking Montez Ford, they are currently the evolved tag team champions. Velveteen Dream has uh, showcased that evolve, and they got another guy that they have on the NXT contract that has a freaking evolved championship right now. So, yeah, Fabian Archer. Yeah, yeah, Fabian Archer. So, I mean... Or Eichner. Eichner. Yeah, Eichner. So, they're doing that at a minute level. I mean, NXT, see, even though it's under where, the WWE okay. umbrella, is still a whole different thing, and I don't, I don't fucking understand that. <laughs> but, okay, so here's where, like, I like what they're trying to do, but here's the problem, okay? All right. You're the Street Profits. Mm -hmm. You're working in NXT. You're Mm -hmm. over in NXT. Mm -hmm. Now, so basically, you are in AAA ball, okay? You're right below the big leagues. Like, you know the scouts are there. But they're going to demote you down to A ball so you can win a title? Wait a second. Time out. Why? I mean, I, I like I like the idea of them utilizing Evolve. I don't like them utilizing Evolve with very, very established talent. Mm-hmm. Like, they have so much good stuff that's kind of sitting in the wings down there that I think could be beneficial. Yeah. And it could be beneficial for those people. I mean, like, the one thing I did like about Montez Ford and... 
uh, what's the other dude's name? D'Angelo Antonio Dawkins. Daw- Angelo Dawkins. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I did like about that was it got them out in front of an indie audience. It got them out of that NXT fishbowl, mm-hmm. which I love because it kind of makes a talent a little bit more self-aware because they're not walking. They're not walking through the curtain and being automatically over. Yeah. But at the same time, did they have to win a title the first night? Yeah. Like, couldn't they have just come out and just beat down the champions the first night Mm -hmm. and they could have built it up a little bit. I mean, like, I get the I get what I get that Gabe is trying to suck Triple H off from New York to Orlando. But at the same time, it's like, dude, how much of a jabron did you make your talent look like? Like, I mean, that's, that's the thing I don't, that's the thing that I personally wasn't really into because it's like, if you want to send a couple of guys up there, cool. You know what? Send up street profits. You know what? They're kind of, they're kind of, they're over in NXT, but like, you know what? They're, everybody's over in NXT. So, you know what? Maybe that'll be good for them. So when they get up to the main roster, they're not greeted by crickets because 95% of the people don't know who they are. Yeah. Now. You know, we kind of strayed away from what what the um, question was. You know, how can we put some pop and pizzazz on the United States title? The uh, thing is, is it has to be creatively driven. Yeah, um, and they're the, not given anything. I think the most recent time, I mean, the most interesting thing that they've done with the United States title was when Cena had it, and he was doing the United States Open challenges. But that's a Cena thing. Yeah, like everybody's got that paired to Cena now, so you really can't do that. But to me, it's like what I would like to see the U.S. title kind of become is it's that it's the gatekeeper belt. Okay, you know what? You have them once a month. It's the U.S. Open Challenge. Okay, and once a month you bring a guy up from NXT to challenge or maybe you put a guy in there that maybe needs a little bit of a maybe needs a little bit of a rub. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, or maybe you've got a guy that you're like, "Hey, I want to put the title on this guy, and I'm just gonna hot shot him into the scene and shake things up a little bit because I don't like the pieces I currently have in play." Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they could use that because the thing is, is like, dude, how cool would it be for an NXT guy to go up to the main roster, win a belt, and go back to NXT with it? That's the exact reverse of what the Street Profits are doing. Yeah. Like they're going up, taking what's theirs and bringing it down to NXT. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's totally different. That to me is that that's that person going, look, you know what? I'm good enough to be there. Why am I here? Yeah. And then they had like um, a similar instance to where um, Kevin Owens was the freaking NXT champion. He was up there vying for the freaking United States championship. Yeah. When he took on Cena. Yeah. And that was some good shit. <laughs> Oh, dude, those were great. I mean, I mean, those were honestly some of Cena's probably best matches he's ever had. Yeah. I mean, because barring, the thing is, is... Barring that motherfucking springboard stunner. <laughs> well, dude, it's better than the uh, the ghost punch of doom that he's using now. Oh, man. I seen that, and I lost my shit. And, you dude, know, I was like, Cheeseburger's got a better show today, yo. Just stop that. Just, no. Yeah. I like Cheeseburger. <laughs> cheeseburger. I need to try to get him on the show. <laughs> uh, dude, Burger's the best, man. I found a cheeseburger at Burlington Coat Factory, and I almost bought it. I should have bought it. I'm regretting it now because I, I can't find that motherfucking cheeseburger no more. 
I mean, you know, it's like with the U.S. title scene, like, unfortunately, I mean, you can't expect too much at this point because they can't even write a decent story for their title picture, for their main title picture, yeah. let alone their secondary title picture. Yeah. I mean, you've got the Raw title gone again mm-hmm. because it's on Bork Laser. He's It's gone. So the thing is, it's like if there was ever a time to elevate a secondary belt... Now would be a great time, but they're not smart enough to do that. Yeah. Well, so yeah, Let, let's roll into our next question. The next question comes from the Codex Prime podcast, and you can follow them on Twitter at Codex Prime Cast. And their question is, do you think WWE could benefit from having two shakeups this year? I mean, when you say this year, I mean, it's almost coming to a close 2018. Let's look forward to 2019. Having two shakeups. I believe it's going to happen anyway. And, you know, they're going to have, like, the one advertised, you know, we're having a shakeup. And, you know, they're going to swap pieces and everything, basically in preparation for the Fox deal. But you best believe once that uh, Fox deal is in, in effect, you know, SmackDown is on uh, Fox or whatever that they're going to be swapping motherfuckers like on the low for real. You just, oh, what's this motherfucker doing here on SmackDown Live, you know, and shit. So it's going to happen. I mean, I would like to see them utilize, like, okay, here's a crazy scenario. Triple H is hurt, like shoot hurt. Yes. So why don't you utilize Triple H for what you should be utilizing Triple H for at this point? This is where New Japan has stuff right. New Japan kind of has their their stable system, but they're not really stables. They're more kind of like fight teams. Yeah, like frats and whatever. Well, they're more like, I mean, think about them more like MMA fight teams, mm-hmm. where it's like you've got multiple people. So the thing is, is they can book a mixed tags match, but it makes sense because I don't like that team. Yeah. And it gives these people a chance to touch each other in the ring and kind of work out some spots without either one of the people that you're building up to take a fall. Yeah. The WWE, WWE doesn't utilize that. It's either a screw finish or it's 50-50 booking where that you know who that gets over? Nobody. Because nobody gets the chance to build anything. Nobody. There's no momentum because you know odds are within the next three weeks that person's probably going to lose on TV. Yeah, this is so. I mean, their shakeups. Here's the problem: you've got creatively. I don't know if a shakeup does any good. No. I mean, you do a shakeup when you're out of stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the stories these people have been telling? Yeah, and then it's um, back to what we've been harping on since the show has been, you know, going. The oversaturation of talent. It doesn't matter which show you put them. On on or whatever they have buku motherfuckers on either side or whatever yeah. so i mean you can do these shakeups to get like fresh matches in a sense but you still lacking that time or that preparation to put those things together you know <laughs> yeah i mean it, but the thing is is the 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 overexposure's killing them yeah because nobody cares mm-hmm. nobody gives a shit like Nobody has any people or fans of a specific person Mm -hmm. more for what they do on social media or what they're doing for fan outreach stuff. It 
has very little to do with what the stories they're telling are. Yeah, because people love Titus O'Neil. People love Becky Lynch. You know exactly. Like to me right now, like if you had to ask me what should headline WrestleMania, it's Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey. Yeah, they should not touch each other until that day. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Let him tell a long-term story. Let this thing get absolutely virulent. Okay, like let them go at one another. I am loving Becky Lynch just tearing into everybody. It's hilarious. Yeah, I think one of the things that I seen um, not too long ago is um, Ronda Rousey followed her on Twitter, and uh, she screen capped the um, thing and said like, "You tried to follow me." <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what I mean, but it's like that's wrestling. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's wrestling. Like, they get it. Like, I don't know if, like, any... But see, that's the problem when you have an entire creative team that are TV writers. Like, you've got some of these guys that are broken down from years in the ring and years of doing God knows what. Mm-hmm. Dude, put them to use in creative. I've yes. got a crazy idea. Why don't you open up fan submissions? Now, granted... Most of the stuff is going to be hot garbage. Mm-hmm. But if you get something good that makes sense and you could sell it, why would you not outsource some of that? And see, it's a, and that's another thing. I mean, even that, what you just said about the fan sourcing and everything, they get that every day for free. You know, And that's the data analytics issue. Like, that's why they, in my opinion... Before they need to do a shakeup, they need to start utilizing sabermetrics. They need to moneyball their own show mm-hmm. because they're obviously not good at telling their own stories at this point. So maybe they should listen to the fans first. And I'm not talking about the dude that at WWE in all caps and tells Vince McMahon to suck his dick. And <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. Like the thing is, is like for every one wacko, there's a couple legitimate conversations going on where yeah. they could see what's being talked about and what's not. Hell, Twitter will do it for them. Yeah. I mean, shit. But somebody has to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure in that this multi billion dollar company now, that there's a motherfucker in there that has the title of social media advisor or so, social media consultant like, or whatever the fuck, and they is not utilizing this motherfucker. He's just there collecting the motherfucking paycheck. Well, I mean, the thing is, just like to me, there are so many data analytics firms out there right now that what they need is they need a social media manager, somebody who takes care of their posts and stuff like that. And they need a couple of data analysts to be able to break down these reports and go to creative and go, look, there are a group of people talking about Becky Lynch. So next week, instead of Becky getting three minutes, we're going to give her five. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Nobody gave a single solitary shit about anything Randall Orton has had to say in the last decade. (laughs) So you know what? Instead of giving him five minutes, we're going to give him three. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where they're not utilizing they're not utilizing the pieces that they have very intelligently. Mm-hmm. Like it's they're not encouraging their talent to kind of become themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's why you don't have anybody like Shawn Michaels anymore because Shawn Michaels was the heartbreak kid. Mm-hmm. Like you had a person that was literally the walking embodiment of their character. And when they opened their mouth, the words were theirs. And then before him, it was Ric Flair. 
And before, I mean, and then like that whole era, you had Hogan when he opened his mouth; those words were his, brother. The Yappa Pie Strap Match, brother. Yeah, I mean, those <laughs> words were his, even when they didn't make any sense. Those words were his. I mean, that's the issue you're running into with a lot of these guys is none of these guys are convinced of who they are because who they are changes on whoever their writer is for the week. Yeah. 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 I mean, I agree. I mean, I I don't understand why Vince isn't going, look, you know what? Something's not right with your character. Like, I don't know what I can, I don't know what I can do to help you. So why don't you brainstorm some ideas Mm -hmm. and let's sit down and talk about it. Like, let's have a writer there. Let's have triple H there because triple H is going to be healing. You know what? Have him start pulling some characters aside and helping them retool. Yeah. And I mean, he should be doing that anyway. I mean, even if he was healthy. I mean, because that's but the problem is, role. is when he's healthy, Vince wants to put him in the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a sticky thing, man, because it's like they they rely on nostalgia. Nostalgia is what got them that Saudi deal. And yeah, and that's dangerous, man. That is a that that's like that's like that's like tax cuts for the rich. It's a sugar rush. Because the thing is, is they're going back to what they know works. The last time that they had something that was like, wow, this is great. Yeah, that's why you got motherfuckers. But the problem is, is their talent, dude, the combined age of Crown Jewel's main event was 206 years old. Yeah. And then you got motherfuckers sitting here talking about, hey, man, throw some money at Stone Cold to get him back in the ring. (laughs) Yeah, but see, okay, so here comes the next. So here comes my question for you. If Mm. we're talking shake up. Yeah. Okay. The thing is, it's like, this is a company that is nostalgia-driven, 100%. Yeah. Who's the next generation of nostalgia? John Cena. Okay, so the thing is, is Cena's going to be some cheap pops from here and again, and whenever he wants to come back and do his thing, like The Rock did. Like, But I could see Cena being involved a little bit longer because Cena likes wrestling. Yeah. Um. Okay, who else? Like, tell me people from that generation, from that 2000 generation, that are going to be nostalgia pops in five years. I don't know. It's hard to say because all those motherfuckers are here now. Jeff Hardy. There you go. Randy Orton. Rey Mysterio. Um, Only motherfuckers that ain't really back that would would get a good ovation is uh, motherfucking Rob Van Dam. And the problem with Rob Van Dam is Rob Van Dam has been a high flyer for 20 years Mm -hmm. and Rob Van Dam can still go. And Rob Van Dam is still in better shape than I will ever be in my lifetime. But he's getting close to 50. Yeah. I mean, you can't expect him to go out and hit a cross ring Van Daminator at 55 years old. It's not going to happen. Well, I mean, if Shaman Man can do it, he can do it. (laughs) The difference is, is Rob... (laughs) Still works show to show mm-hmm. and still makes money like that. Whereas Shane could put himself in a wheelchair for the rest of his life and he ain't got nothing to worry about. True. This is true. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't know, man. It's like, I mean, like the thing is, is it, it goes back to the age old adage. I can't miss you if you don't go away. Yeah. A lot of these motherfuckers need to go away. See, and um, we spoke about this last episode as well. It's just that damn. I don't know, man. It's just it's it's fucking weird. You you have all these WWE is the place to where you go 
to retire. It's not the place you go to come out of retirement and then come back and have a career. It, that That's not what it's supposed to be. Because yeah, you're, I you're mean, supposed to go around the world. It. You're supposed to work the indies. You're supposed to do all these great things to build up your brand, your stock, and everything. And then when you felt like you've done everything that you can accomplish and you're looking to retire and set your family up for the rest of your days, go to WWE. That's what I'm looking and, at it now as. And you're not wrong. I mean, look at a vast majority of your guys that have been signed into developmental in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most of these guys are closer to 30 than they are 20. Yeah. Okay. Some of them are older than that. Some of them are 30, closer to 35 than they are 30. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is what else can they go do? Like, I mean, they don't have anything left on their bucket list to go do. Like, this is the last place they can go to get any bigger. And then what happens is, is you end up with so many places, so many people going to the only place they can go to get bigger that not everyone gets bigger. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why I love Naito staying in New Japan. That's the reason yeah. why I love Okada staying in New Japan. Yeah. Because it's like, like, you know, like they've done better with Nakamura, but I'm not going to tell you by any stretch of the imagination they've hit a home run with him. Hell no. So it's one of those, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm going like, dude, Naito is so much fun and the WWE would ruin that. Yeah. Because they wouldn't get it. Yeah. The whole uh, Los Ingronables de Japón, that whole group, even when they was down in Mexico, when they went on excursion or when they um, were so-called exiled from New Japan, and it went to Mexico for a while. That whole group was just fucking great. And, you know, I'm just waiting for a Rush to pop up somewhere in New Japan. Uh, Rush is going to be back in New Japan, I think, within the next couple of weeks. Uh, he's going to be coming back with Los Gold. Sweet. And see, and that's another thing, too, about, you know, New Japan and, you know, various other promotions is just like they do things like that. They send their talent away to go do other things. And it forces you to follow them to these other places to discover new shit because I mean I've known of a was a CMLL and AAA and all those other different places but you know I never really per se had a reason to watch other than curiosity but yeah, now you're right. but now since you know these talents that I've come to know and um admire and everything they go down there and I'm figuring out the new Japan system of how they send their talent you know, out on excursion or whatever, because right now I'm tracking Kawato and um, what's his name? Uh, the big motherfucker, uh, Kitamura or some shit like that. Oh yeah, the the dude that looks like a refrigerator with hair. Yeah, that. But he looks like a mini fridge with hair because the refrigerator with hair is Braun Strowman. Yeah, so you know it got me tracking these guys, and I seen dude like um, what's his name? Uh, Valdo Junior, the motherfucker that come to the ring with the mask. Didn't he take the mask off halfway through the match? Yeah, so, uh, Volador, yeah, Volador Jr. Yeah. yeah, that dude is fucking amazing, man. Well, I mean, see, that's the thing. That's that's why this is like this is the weird part about wrestling right now is wrestling is so amazingly good, but the WWE is just there. It doesn't matter how many home run hitters you have if you send them up to the plate with directions to bunt. <laughs> I like that. I mean. It doesn't matter. I mean, you could have an entire lineup of people that are capable of hitting 50 home runs. If you tell them to go up and lay down a bunt, 
they're never going to hit a home run. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, is in New Japan, they have allowed people to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. And they've allowed guys that were, I mean, like Naito's a prime example. Like yeah. Naito just missed with the fan base. And he went away and he came back as this kind of aloof heel that mm-hmm. wasn't really a heel. He was just kind of aloof. Mm-hmm. And people started to get into that. And it's, I mean, you do that. I mean, New Japan allows their talent to become talent. I mean, look at, I mean, dude, if you want the absolute definition of that, look at Juice Robinson. Yeah, that was a freaking turnaround for me. CJ Parker was an absolute sideshow. Yeah. He was never going to be utilized properly. And he went to New Japan and he bet on himself. And the dude is a star. Yeah. Same thing with Cody Rhodes. Yeah. And Cody it, Rhodes is a pro, another huge example. And then like with him, I think it's more so of, you know, him betting on himself, like, like you said and everything and getting a, a good team around him. But once he hooked up with the right people that, you know, are kind of like-minded in a sense, you know, they started taking over the fucking wrestling world. Like, man. But here's, but here's what's coming. Okay. Have you noticed over the last couple of weeks, you've seen everybody kind of, um, you've seen all the bullet club guys say, we're not releasing any more bullet club stuff. Yeah. That's because you're going to see the next evolution of this group because Bullet Club is a trademark owned by New Japan. Exactly. So these guys are going into business for themselves and it's going to be massive Mm -hmm. because they have, I mean, how many WWE shirts do you see in Hot Topic anymore? I mean, quite a few, but not as much as uh, New Japan shit. There you go. I mean, the thing is, is there's 40 Bullet Club shirts. There's 15 WWE shirts. Now, do you know part of the reason why that is? Because the WWE's had the same designers working for them since 1990. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't they haven't figured out the collab yet, as they would call it in the business. Yeah, because like I've seen plenty of um, most recently a lot of independent wrestlers um, um, teaming up with a dude on Twitter. Um, I, a few people you might know who he is, uh, the James Vanderbeek dude. Yeah, yeah, him. He making shirts for a lot of people, and I've seen, uh, you know, other artists, you know, collaborating, making their art for other people, and that's the thing, man. It's just like, but you can't have the same motherfucker doing your shit for decades and decades and decades. That's why motherfuckers always getting on Kevin Dunn about his shit, you know. <laughs> I mean, I look at it from this perspective. I mean, think about it. Um, if you are an independent designer and you are passionate about a wrestler and you want to design something for that wrestler you are going to invest wholly in that project. Yeah. And you're going to make that look as amazing as you can because you realize that this is an opportunity to get yourself known mm-hmm. and put out an amazing piece of merch. Yeah. That's the reason why, dude, I literally have two WWE shirts hanging in my closet that I bought like four years ago. One of them is Sami Zayn and the other one is the club when they first got there. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Like, cause their, their shit sucks. I think like, they, I think and it's right. overpriced. I can go to pro wrestling tees and get three shirts for every two. I can get on the WWE website and they look better. I think the last WWE shirt that I bought for me was the, um, Daniel Bryan. Yes. Movement shirt before he, um, retired. Well, not retired before he left the first time. Sure. But I mean, think about that. I mean, it's like, I don't understand like how every other brand in the world has figured this out. 
I mean, you got Adidas and Nike and Reebok. They're working with rappers. They're working with basketball players. They're working mm-hmm. with soccer players. They're working with baseball, football, whatever. They're working with uh, Instagram influencers. Yeah. They're they're listening. Like they're going, oh, wait a second. Let's see here. You know what? We could release these shoes and they would be pretty popular. But if we collaborate with this other person and add a little bit of their flair into what our idea is, then they're going to help promote it. Their fans are going to buy it and we're going to make more money off of it. Yeah. I what mean, a concept. Yeah. I mean, everybody does that because I can remember when um, Cadillac made the Snoop DeVille, with, you know, collaborating with Snoop Dogg and then um, Navigator made a Navigator with Puff Daddy. Yeah, I mean, it's like everybody has done it, and I don't know why the WWE hasn't figured that out yet. I don't know. I mean, it it, kind of blows my mind because it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know what? The WWE only makes $20 per item or per T-shirt that they sell now. So it's like, okay, cool. So I got a great idea. Why don't you give that uh, that independent artist 50 cents on every unit sold? And you can't tell me that person's not going to try to lay down some absolute fire. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like, I look around and I'm going like, dude, no wonder these guys are more popular than you because their gear is cool and yours is not. Yeah. Cause I mean, everything about them is, um, to me is kind of like fan service or whatever. If you watch the being elite series on uh, YouTube, the music is kind of, you know, done by outside entities and themselves as well. The um, the open animation graphic that they had a, a long time before they went to the current one was done by a dude on Twitter, um, Wrestling Arcade or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you've got people that are passionate about something and they're putting their all into something and making it cool. Like, how can the WWE not see that? Mm-hmm. It's just that whole thing, man, is like, Everything they do got to start with them and it got to end with them, you know? Yeah, and that's just weird. And it's lazy because they could make so much more money. Like, that's the thing I don't get. Like, it's like they're just leaving money on the table because people want to buy wrestling merch. But the thing is, is if they go on the WWE shop and they could buy that new Seth Seth Rollins shirt or they could go on or they could go on pro wrestling tees and get the new Marty scroll shirt. Cause they also like Marty scroll. I'm probably going to get the Marty scroll shirt because it looks a thousand times cooler. Yeah. The only thing that WWE has gone to do is, uh, to try to change their merch up and, you know, kind of give it a fresh look is the, the custom shop to where you can pick a predetermined design and you can just change the color of the shirt. And why? Like, I mean, put some different options out there. You don't need to maintain a working stock of a 1,000 of each shirt. You can maintain a working stock of 50 of each shirt. I mean, you it's not like you can't produce these things relatively quickly because you were obviously already selling a ton of merch. Yeah. So somebody's producing this stuff for you. But um, what I need you to um, produce for me real quick is my cash-in because I'm cashing in. Yeah. <laughs> I need it in the tune of uh, Rick Flair. <laughs> yeah, 60 seconds on the clock. I'm pulling it up right now. And I'm ready whenever you are. Because you know the nature boy. 
The Nature Boy loves, loves Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain is one of my favorite rides because when it's because you know what you ride up that hill just a little bit and you just hear that click 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 and you ride up that hill just a little bit more and you hear that click 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 and then all of a sudden you feel a little bit of water splash on your leg and you're like oh wow is that you honey or is that the ride I don't know which one it is hold on so so you know what man we, we get up to the top of that ride you know what that let that girl climbs on top and you're like a oh, baby you know what you're gonna ride space mountain on splash mountain and you know what then you know we get up to the top of that hill you know what we hit that apex and you know from there it's all downhill so you know it gets wild it gets crazy it gets moist and then we hit the bottom and we're all wet <laughs> and i said i said was that you and she said i don't know and i said honey i'm rick flair Time so up. i know god <laughs> Damn, sir, that water was not from the ride. <laughs> that was up. courtesy time's of the up. nature boy. Just stop. Just time's up. <laughs> <laughs> it had to happen, man. It's okay. It's okay. It had to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, Splash Mountain and water cascading down various parts of the anatomy, Ooh. why don't we roll into our next segment, which is Waterfall Mania. Cue the central music in the background. And then it's flowing. You brung a lady that I'm familiar with and that I've got to see live at my very first independent wrestling show ever. Nice. Which show did you see her at? It was um, a place kind of where I got my you know, my hand's dirty as uh, somewhat of a professional wrestler. But it was a little place out of Rolla, Missouri called Central States Championship Wrestling. I know Central States. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a little uh, mom and pop thing up under the NWA umbrella. Nice. And um, they were there when I was stationed in Fort Leonard Missouri. They were, oh, I, seen a fl- I seen a flyer on the motherfucking uh, commissary that said live professional wrestling. I was like, oh shit, baby. I love professional wrestling. And, <laughs> and I read it. I didn't recognize none of the goddamn names on the goddamn fly. And I was just like, well, fuck it, man. I'm here. It doesn't well, That's cost because that the WWE hasn't released anybody to be on that flyer at that point. <laughs> so, I mean, I was like, fuck it. it. I got time. I can go see it. It was in the, um, the elementary school gym. Um, it was real mom and popish, you know. I got to know the promoter and his family, and um, I got a little bit of training know-how from um, their champion at the time, Showtime Shane Summers, and um, the Mad Hatter Damon Buchanan, and that's when I seen Jordan Grace, the lady that we'll be discussing this episode, and um. She was a little bit smaller than what she is now. And um, she was, at the time, her attire consisted of uh, long tights and um, a crop top, tie-dyed colored. And she was taking on a lady by the name, I believe, of Mercedes Martinez. Yeah, Mercedes Martinez is in, uh, I think, Shine right now. It's either Shine or Shimmer. And I know she's been to stardom, too. 
No, 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 I'm not talking about the. I'm, I'm probably getting the last name wrong, but I know Mercedes was in there somewhere, but I don't think it's the one that was like on NXT now and in, in the May Young Classic. It was just like some totally different motherfucker. Oh, okay. So I got to see these two. I'm probably getting the fucking name wrong because I am drunk. I do remember her. <laughs> but these two had a match, and I seen uh, Jordan, you know. It was just something different about it. I never seen that in a female professional wrestler before. And for me as well, you know, this being my first live independent show ever, you know, it was a culture shock to me because I was a born and bred WWE, WWF, WCW guy. You know, I never really watched too much independent wrestling. Uh, my first time seeing anything really outside of WWE was um, when I started to latch on to New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom 9. So. Yeah, it was, it's basically that it's it's weird in the respect of the room so much smaller. Yeah, there's so many fewer people there. Like that's the weird part about it. But you get past that after a couple of shows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially since I started working for the company, uh, putting the rings up and showing up the venues and promoting the shit. So, um, I seen a match and I was like, "Damn, she is fucking good, man." Her and the girl she was going up against. And um, I was just like, I followed them immediately on Twitter, you know, and I've just been kind of keeping up with them. And every time I see something pop up with Jordan, I was like, oh, shit, I remember her. I seen her for the very first time in 2014 at Fort Lindenwood, Missouri, in the fucking, uh, I forget the name of the school, elementary gym. <laughs> Dude, I got a funny story about Fort Leonard Wood. I'll tell you that later. <laughs> yeah, but when did you come across Dude. Jordan for the first time? The first time I saw Jordan was in a Beyond Ring. I saw her work in singles, and uh, um, this is after she kind of uh, started doing the Little Mama Pump. Like yeah. basically, she had just started kind of getting bigger. Yeah. Um, and you know, I really, I kind of saw Jordan like the first time I saw her. I'm like, yeah, there's something good about her. There's something different because you could tell there was a level of confidence there that most female performers don't have necessarily. You could tell she's very comfortable in her own skin. She has yeah. absolutely no problem with who she is. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, like my favorite, my favorite Jordan gray stuff is her tagging with Lufisto as team pog. <laughs> pog. Like um, pretty athletic white girls. <laughs> um, I mean, like those two, they're, they counter off one another so well because Jordan is kind of like the up and comer and Lufisto's uh, Lufisto's the KG veteran of the group. Yeah. But it's one of those things where like, they're both so damn entertaining. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and also like the, the thing that I've noticed with Jordan and I mean, you're seeing this a lot more with a lot of the female talents. Um, her growth hasn't slowed. Yeah. Like she's, it seems like she's learning all the time. I mean, I know she's together with John Gresham, so you could definitely tell that she's learning some more technical wrestling stuff than she maybe would have otherwise learned. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those things where the, like the sky's the limit. Like that, that's what, that's, that's the thing that I try to tell people. It's like, there are people in NXT that haven't been on TV yet that are better than any female wrestler the WWE had up until 2005. Mm -hmm. I mean, his actual talents, because up till that point you had the, the, the hardcore divas. 
Yeah. And uh, like, and the thing is now it's like, you got people that are, that are legit wrestlers and they're good. And it's like that, that's where it kind of worries me is like, cause I can totally see, I mean, that's why when I looked at somebody like Eva Murray, like that worried me because I could see Vince totally getting pulled there, but she was going to set the division backwards mm-hmm. because her in-ring skill wasn't as far along as some of the other ladies. Like I'm so thankful that Becky Lynch kind of caught fire because Becky can not only work. We've also discovered that Becky has a great character. Yeah. So by the way, sir, I'm cashing in. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, uh, we're going to do this. Let's go ahead and go with. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> okay, let me get my clock up. 60 seconds on the clock. <sighs> I'm about to be in here yelling and shit, and my damn kids and wife is outside, and I'm drunk. <laughs> That's even better. Like This is totally explainable at this point, then. Okay, fuck your couch. Uh, let me tell you something. Oh, got my two by four right here, and I need to aim and point it and lock it in in my three-point stance. Talking about the motherfucking hairline of one brother dude, Hulk Hogan. Oh, let me tell you, this thing left back in the depression. Matter of fact, you speak about depression, I'm depressed right now even thinking about it. You have a do-rag attached to your head that has hair attached to the do-rag that you just mop on top. And ho, excuse me. Uh, <coughs> ho. Yeah, I got, it was the key of B flat. I had to get it in the key of C. And brother dude, you say brother dude, but when you say brother dude, you're not talking about the brother dude in the sense of an African-American because you're saying the N-word when you say brother dude. And my time is up. <laughs> My time is now. Dude, like, I just thought about this, dude. Like, okay, so let's go ahead and do something crazy, okay? Okay. Like, Hulk Hogan's do-rag and his hair that's, like, left. Mm -hmm. Like, what if Hulk Hogan has actually been bald since, like, the Mm mid-1970s? And he's just been wearing, like, a jellyfish on his head for, like, 35 years? (laughs) And the jellyfish is, like, that's the bandana part. And the tentacles, that's what's left of the blonde hair. Yeah, it's like um It's a Metroid. That's what it is. It's living on his head. It's like Kane's mask is like sewed into it and shit. Yeah, the, the magical hair that appears and disappears at will. I thought for, at some point he had the shit sewed to his fucking scalp. <laughs> no, at one point he actually had some hair and that went away years ago. So You can kind of tell cuz it was all perfectly cut all the time and it was all straight and it didn't even have, because like when you have hair that gets frizzy, you see the like the strays and the flyaways and everything. He never had that. It was just like silky, smooth shit. <laughs> well, it's because they he could take the hair all the way off and they could style it for him and then he could put it back on. So, oh man. But man, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like Hulk Hogan, what the fuck? Why is he back? See, like that, the dude can't get clear to do anything. He can't even do a leg drop. Yeah. And see, that was my whole thing about it. The only reason they had him on that Saudi show because it was that Saudi show. We didn't see or hear about him on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown after the fact. 
you know it was just exclusively because they was in the pickle they had to go do their obligated show and tell and they just needed somebody else because of all the young and up and coming talent that got pulled back mm, true I mean uh, you know like the the thing I I kind of looked at was like you could tell that the WWE was trying to get rid of two R, two PR messes at once mm-hmm He's like, it was kind of like, you could see the deductive reasoning of like, hey, you know what? This is already going to be a cluster. So why don't we just make it a bigger cluster and let people get over it and then we can move on? Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, and I've been saying this for the past three episodes. This is why you put the title back on Brock Lesnar. Because, I mean, it's Brock Lesnar and you don't want to fuck up Braun Strowman. And this is why you let Shane McMahon win the so-called Best in the World Cup. Because you don't want to fuck up the Miz or Seth Rollins and whoever else that could have potentially won that thing you know I mean these are people that can stand the bullshit or the stain of the, um, the circumstances surrounding that show and everything and you know not really you know be a worry you know true I mean that makes sense I mean the only thing that I don't I, I'm over Brock man yeah a lot like, of people are I, and see, that's the unfortunate aspect is because Brock used to be Brock mm-hmm. and he was like just freakishly athletic and he could do stuff where you're like looking at him going like, dude, there is no reason that a 300 pound man should be able to do that. Yeah, because we were talking about it offline um, a couple of episodes ago. This I believe firmly of, of all the years that I've been watching professional wrestling, any promotion whatsoever or any, you know athlete who's ever done a shooting star press Brock Lesnar had the most beautiful shooting star press of all time <laughs> dude for the only per- there there are the the only person I would put in that conversation would be Matt Seidel yeah yeah because well him and Paul London I mean they had the two prettiest ones otherwise but the thing is with Brock was just like you look to him and go nope mm-hmm. like that dude weighs 300 pounds. Like, if he weighed 180 pounds, I could totally explain him doing that. Yeah. But at 300 pounds, it looks like you're making a 747 do a backflip. <laughs> Let's do a barrel roll. I mean, that's what I mean. It's like one of those things, like, you're looking at it going, like, wait a second. Like, that. there's no way. Yeah. Like, that, that shouldn't be possible. But see, like, we're getting into the era where we're going to see some big men doing some shit in WWE rings that we've never seen him do before. Yeah. Keith Lee and Dijak. <laughs> Keith, yeah, Keith Lee, Dijak. I mean, um, I mean, dude, they've got four or five guys down there, and it's like, and I know they're sniffing after Walter right now, even though Walter told him no. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, if Walter goes there, like, it, he's that guy that I look at and go, dude, they would ruin him mm-hmm. because he's a killer. Yeah, well, let, let's let's wind it back a little bit because this is Waterfall Mania. We're supposed to be talking about Jordan Grace. I forgot even how we got to where we are now. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan, you need to look at her. Um, the thing I love about Jordan is, like, there's so much real to her. Yeah. Like, she does not give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And I love that aspect of her because it's, like, one of those things, like, the, uh, the DMs of a female wrestler. Yeah, yeah, I was like, about to bring that up, yeah. That's genius. Mm-hmm. She's Genius. like she's like one of the um, one independent females that I've seen that's actually trying to prep for success beyond professional wrestling by publishing that book and doing a couple other things here and there. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, but see, that's the thing that you've got coming up. I mean, you've got talent like that coming up where you've got these people that have already got their brands established Mm -hmm. before they even hit the company. All the company's got to do is basically take it and put their little twist on it and put a rocket ship on it and let it go. Yeah. I mean, Jordan is one of those talents where it's like, dude, seriously, get Powerbomb TV, watch the back catalog of Beyond. It's it's my favorite promotion right now, hands down. Uh, she's been doing a lot of tag work with Lufisto there. She did a singles match, I think it was like a month or two ago, with uh, Tessa Blanchard that was lights out. Mm-hmm. Um, she's and the thing and the thing I love the most about her is she's atypical. Yeah, like her body type is atypical, mm-hmm. and it I I like that in a female wrestler because there's there are a lot of women that are not as comfortable in themselves Mm -hmm. and she kind of gives them like, Hey, you know what? This is beautiful too. Yeah. Cause like, um, there's another girl, uh, was it a Viper Niven or Piper Niven or whatever the fuck? Yeah. Viper. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, man. And then what kind of makes me, (laughs) this is a silly thing, man. Cause it's like, I've been married for a while and it kind of makes me uncomfortable because I, you know, I seek out some of these female performers and everything and like, especially Jordan Grace or whatever, you know, I see her perform in the ring, and then sure. the uh, attire that she chooses to wear or whatever rides up in the crack of ass, and there's like butt cheeks bubbling everywhere, and I'm like, I can't show my wife this shit. Dude, the thing that cracked me up is like she said that she called it herself, and it was so funny because she was like, um, I told my I told my gear maker to make my bottoms a little bit more cheeky, mm-hmm. and then like. The next show would be on, dude. Like, it was out of control. And she was just like, yeah, that was probably not the best idea I've ever had. Yeah, because, like, I've I seen the glimpses of the um, the, all, the over-budget uh, Battle Royal for the All-In event. And, like, yeah. her and Brian Cage was just like, <laughs> I was like, oh, man, her ass is just basically out and shit. Dude, but, like, it's one of those things where it's like, she is, she's unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there's no, there's no, I, I don't see any fake to her. She seems very genuine. Mm-hmm. And that is something I think wrestling is missing. Yeah. And, like, uh, and I think I, I str- uh, waited too long, man, because like I've been trying to get her on the show just to sh- chat with her or whatever. And I'm getting no responses. I should have struck when I was like in my infancy stages or whatever. So I can be like, Hey, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is like, that's the part about women's wrestling right now. That's just, outlandish is because and it's the unfortunate aspect of the WWE doesn't make a bigger deal of it than what they do mm-hmm. because they um, there's some out, there's some outstanding talent out there like literally the WWE can make a women's wrestling show and it would be dynamite yeah and that and we had this conversation on a couple of the previous episodes or whatever I, I'm and I'm all for it you know but yeah, it's like, look at evolution, like evolution. If the WWE was on the pulse, as much as they say they are, if, if Steph McMahon says, you know what? I got my finger on the pulse. I know what the people want. Somebody at that headquarters should have said, Hey, you know what? This is picking up traction. Crown jewel is a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. Why don't we build up this evolution event and kind of push Crown Jewel off to the side a little bit because the Saudis don't give a fuck about the build up anyway? Yeah, this is true. 
and all you're doing is ruining. I mean, that people are people. It, you're taking time away from an event that could really have used that WWE push because we know they're capable of it. Yeah. But you know, it's it's. It's one of those things where it's like I see a lot of female talent that right now they're kind of dancing around the WWE. Jordan is one of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I know she's on the radar. Like she has to be. Yeah. Same thing with like Tessa Blanchard. Same thing with Rachel Ellering. Like these people have to be on the radar. Mm -hmm. But they also I mean these women are self-aware enough and they're they're brand savvy enough that they can go wait a second. You know what? I could totally go to the WWE, but you know what I'm going to be when I get there? I'm going to be another girl in developmental. Yeah. And they already don't give enough time to the women's stories anyway, so why don't I why don't I make some money outside and do my creative side because I know when I get there it's going to be a lot of work, very little creative uh fulfillment. Yeah. So, so. um let's go ahead and uh shut down uh, the Reservoir oh. for Waterfall Mania and roll into the main event, our last topic for discussion, the Go the Fuck Home segment. Sir, who you got up on a chopping block this evening? Oh, boy. Steph McMahon. Da, 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 da. <laughs> now... Steph McMahon is somebody that I have some admiration for because she's got a business acumen that I think a lot of people don't have. Mm -hmm. I think she's aware of some things, but she's not as aware of other things as she thinks she is. Mm -hmm. um, she could 100, like what I would like to see Steph McMahon do is go the fuck home. And the reason why I want her to go the fuck home is not because she created women's wrestling as she claims. Um, but she says things like she has, she has more character tear between what she does outside the ring and what she does inside the ring. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of triple H is triple H. Yeah. Like Steph McMahon goes from speaking on stage at a conference to being on Monday night, raw slapping her male talent around. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Like, Steph, do us a favor. Go be the boardroom shark that you are. Go do that. Because you're when you are more involved in the story, um, it damages your public perception a little bit. And you're not your dad. because And we don't live in a generation that your dad was able to pull that off in. Yeah. Uh, people take things personally now, even when they shouldn't. Yeah. So I think it would be beneficial to her to be the the boardroom shark and she could kind of be a special attraction for in-ring stuff. Because, and the other thing is, is it's like, Steph, your dad made a terrible mistake at some point when he decided he no longer wanted to run a wrestling company. He wanted to run a television company that happened to do wrestling. Yeah, Don't make that mistake because... You have, there's nothing wrong with being a wrestling company. There's a lot of people that love you for being a wrestling company. So you made a statement this last week that WWE could be bigger, dis, bigger than Disney. That's ridiculous. Yes. That, that's ridiculous. Like 
Disney has a varied product. They have digital platforms. They have games. They have movie franchises. They have multiple movie studios. They're getting ready to set up their own individual streaming service. They have like seven television networks. You're not going to be bigger than Disney. Be the best WWE that you can be. Yeah, and it's not even being the best WWE that you can be. I mean, WWE is always going to be that, but it's being the best wrestling company that you can be. Exactly. Like, wrestling's not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word anymore. Like, your dad made it a dirty word. And that is, you know, like, we're ready for Vince to go away. Yes. Because we can't miss you if you don't go away. And if we realize that he's the head of this dictatorship until he steps down. So the thing is, is until he steps down, we're not going to see what the, co- the company's going to look like next. Yeah. So in the meantime, use your power couple accordingly. Let Triple H do the wrestling stuff. You be the most powerful CEO that you can be. Mm-hmm. And... You know what? You could be a role model for little girls in an athletic sense on occasion, but you could be a role model for girls as a C as a ball busting CEO. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, I appreciate her wanting to be involved directly, but it's like, I think she could be so much more. I mean, because women, they, they don't get the opportunities to get into those positions. And I think that Steph could be a great person in her position and it might make some other companies kind of reconsider. Yeah. And it's, it's weird, man, because it's like, I, you know, in my, this is just my thinking. I believe her and triple H would much rather be behind the scenes doing the work rather than being in front of the camera doing the work. It's just, is that Vince that's sending them out there yeah, that's at that I'm, point then? That's what I'm saying. I think it's just that man, dog. <laughs> I think okay, it's just well, him. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, but it's like one of those things where it's like, dude, like Triple H is great. Mm-hmm. But man, you know what? Like, give me Triple H like Minoru Suzuki in New Japan. Oh, my God. Give me, give me the nefarious, underhanded Triple H. Like, give me that guy and give me a nasty stable of heels and let Triple H be Triple H. Mm-hmm. And then you take and then you have a face person or a facier person. That, I mean, that's the one that's the genius part about New Japan is their multi-man tags allow things to be special. And that's something the WWE could benefit from. Yeah. I love New Japan. Dude, it's fun. I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, that's the part that bums me out about the WWE is because wrestling is so good, mm-hmm. but the WWE is just, they're missing it. Yeah. And it's like, it bums me out because the thing is, is people look at wrestling like, oh, well, the WWE sucks, so wrestling must suck. No. no. Yep. Wrestling is amazing if you look around. <laughs> Did you watch um, Power Struggle? Not yet. Yeah. Um, I'm, 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 I'm trying I'm, to get caught up on New Japan, but yeah. it's like right now I've got... Like this weekend alone, I had a freelance show last night. Today, I had a Chikara show, and there's another show tomorrow. I think it's action. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I watched um, majority of it, like the undercard and everything else. And I'm, I think I'm just getting to the Jericho Evil match. You know, I, I already know the results and everything, but I haven't actually put eyes on any of the final main event matches or whatever. And I'm looking forward to putting, you know, watching that shit. 
but that's the other thing that New Japan has the ability to have is like with their with their team structure kind of mm-hmm. is they can give people a purpose the second they hit the roster. Yeah. Like the second that they're ready to give that person a name, they're no longer a young lion. They're they're ready to move them into a bigger role. They have they ha- they they snap into somebody else's picture. Yeah. Like Will Osprey wasn't Will Osprey for very long. He was Will Osprey and Chaos. Because Okada literally looked at him and goes, "That's the dude." Yeah. Now, um, what is your opinion to the new dude? Um, what is it, the Dragon or whatever that they got with? Uh, oh, uh, Shingo. Yeah, Shingo. Yeah. Dude, he's a monster. Like he's one of those guys. Like he's one of the he's one of the guys in in J- Japanese wrestling that I literally find scary. Mm-hmm. I like his little hair flip that he does from time to time. <laughs> you know, I mean, like it, it, the thing is, is it's like he's a legitimately scary dude. Mm-hmm. Like, and he he presents himself as such. I mean, that's that's the thing that, like, right now, like New Japan's kind of in a little bit of chaos because yeah. they're trying to be a couple of different things. And I don't know if no pun intended. Trying to be a, <laughs> I don't know if they're. I don't know if them trying to be a couple of different things is hindering their actual product. I've, because, I've, like, they're wanting to get into the U.S., but they're not 100% confirmed to do that. And they also want to be more PG so they can be on YouTube. But the thing is, is if you make it a little bit more PG, the, you lose some of the fire in the promos and people don't get as invested in that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can cuss on YouTube. Ain't no problem with that. You can. But the thing is, is New Japan's trying to clean their product up for U.S. TV. Yeah, fuck that. Just stay and that that to me is like beep it, yeah. Just yeah, beep it because people people, it's like people are used to it at this point. The people that are fans are used to it, and beep it, and you're going to get that shock value in the U.S. because people are going to be like, whoa, yeah. Because um, because I, I know me personally, if I've if I ever watch somebody, you know, it's not even particularly professional wrestling. If I heard somebody speaking and they got beeped somewhere in between the conversation or the monologue or whatever the fuck they was doing, I go back and look for the uncut content. <laughs> yeah. And it gets your attention. Like you go from kind of it being background noise to like, wait a second, what? Yeah. All right. Um, I've been getting <coughs> mixed uh, opinions on this one individual that's in new Japan or whatever. I wanted to get yours as well. Switchblade J white. What do you think of him? I, I don't mind Jay White. Like, he's not my favorite. There's a lot of people that are crazy about him. I haven't followed, I haven't watched enough New Japan since he made his Switchblade turn mm-hmm. to really have an opinion one way or the other on him. But the thing is, is it's, it's going to be awkward for him because he didn't have the pedigree that your last couple of top shelf guys have had. Mm. Like, your last champions are AJ Styles, Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada. These are guys with storylines that have either A, been building for a long time, or with AJ Styles. AJ Styles is what, a 15-time world champion or something <laughs> across like six companies? I mean, the guy is... Jay White has all the potential in the world, but he's one of those guys that like, I don't know, like, is size going to hold him back? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the problem you have with a lot of the WWE guys. It's like Tommaso Ciampa. I love Ciampa. Oh, yeah. The dude is great. Like, I don't I don't watch the product, but it's like when I see clips posted on YouTube or clips posted on Twitter, like, the guy is killing it right now. Mm-hmm. But he's also like 5'9". 
<laughs> so the issue you're going to have is when he gets to the main roster, Vince is going to look at him and go, congratulations, you're the newest heel on 205 Live. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're missing it. Yeah. And with the... Uh... In respects to Jay White or whatever, man, I I, I really dig him because like what they have been building since he came back as the Switchblade, I I never really noticed him beforehand as a young lion or whatever. Well, he was working with, I mean, his primary tag partner was uh, Little Finley. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I missed that stuff. So I mean, I I didn't know of them until they actually started making their debuts, you know, as their characters as they are now. So, I mean, I know he was in ROH for a little while, but I don't really watch ROH a lot. But um, it's it's a, to me, it's like I, I I tried to watch their TV show, but it was on at like one o'clock in the morning locally out here. And they always showed it out of order. And it finally just got to the point where I'm like, I'm done. Yeah, I used to watch it. I used to watch it when it was on HD net because I had the channel and I, I just DVR it. Now, which is like. I do with it like how I did with NXT. It would just stack up in my DVR, and then I would just sit there one weekend and watch all of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys, like, what New Japan does very well is uh, they use their authority figures very well. Mm -hmm. Like, Ghetto is a tremendously great personality to be there because he's very respected mm -hmm. and anyone he's put out there with suddenly has more weight. Yeah. And I, and I notice he speak more English than he does Japanese. <laughs> yeah. And then you also have, and then you, I mean, my personal thing that I want to see at some point is I want to see them. I want to see somebody kidnap ghetto mm -hmm. and we're going to replace them with Stokely Hathaway and not acknowledge that there a change has been made, but we're going to book Stokely under the name Ghetto Fabulous. <laughs> and just have Stokely go out there and cut Ghetto promos. Like, I mean, to me, this is this is a winner. And then eventually at some point, Ghetto could come back and kick his ass. Like, I, I, either way, like, I'm down for this. Like, this would make me laugh. Yeah. But um, as far as Jay White goes again, um, his progression from the time that he debuted up until now has just been... You know, he's a loner, but at the same time, he infiltrates groups and pushes his own agenda just so he can kind of like, you know, better his position or everything. So, like, he was a loner. And um, he's from the match wise, he was doing, uh, he, they have progressed from, you know, okay to like, I'm watching this shit and I'm like, holy fuck. You know, that, that was some. He's great a great shit. performer. But then, then he, he got in with chaos. And, you know, he made the little turmoil between the chaos members and everything. And then he eased on out. Then he got with Ghetto now. And now they all up in the freaking uh, the Bullet Club now, the OGs or whatever the fuck. So it's interesting to see the twists and turns with his character and how he pushes his own agenda, even though he's, like, affiliated with different people. So it's pretty cool. But, but that's the difference. I mean, see, that's the major difference between what you see in WWE and what you see in New Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, in New Japan, the persona brings in the character. Yeah. Like, so there's already an investment from the character side. So it's not a situation where they're being fed lines and stuff like that. The thing is, is Ghetto's like, okay, cool. You're going to do X. You're going to be feuding with Y and make that work. Yeah. Whereas, uh, and, I mean, and the thing is, is like, and that's what New Japan does. They let their talent be talent. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they they let them go out there 
and say their words and you get more invested in it because they're saying their own words. They're, they're going out and speaking Yeah, like the juice Robinson promo after the, the last long beach show where he won the U S title. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that promo was like, I'm like, that's pro wrestling right there. Mm-hmm. Even, um, his first G one and everything. He was like, you know, it didn't go the way I expected it. You know, I had to, you know, deal with the fact that I looked at my father in the face and I was telling them that, like, your son went there to do great things and he only came home with no victories. But now I can't say that because I at least won one match. And now I'm building to win a second match. And, you know, it was just like, it was speaking real people shit, you know? You know, it was yeah. And it allowed you, because the thing is, is all anybody told him and says, like, look, you know what? You're working your way toward this. Like, this is what we're working. This is the long-term picture. This is where we see you. Okay? We need you to do this to get there. And he became very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Like, people felt, people empathized with him. Yeah. So it's like, it, like that, that I appreciate. Because it's allowing a character to be themselves. And, and in turn, people react to that realness. And I think the WWE could suffer through a little bit of that right now because you have a bunch of people out there that you don't believe who they are, who they say they are. Like on the main roster, the only person that I believe is actually being themselves is you got AJ Styles mm-hmm. because AJ Styles has been AJ Styles forever. And uh, like Randy Orton. And that's because he's a dickhead. And I stopped listening to him in like 2006. Mm-hmm. But. Randy Orton hasn't changed. He's still the same dude. But I mean, like everybody else, like their characters go through such huge shifts that you're like, who are you supposed to be? Like, tell me a story. Like, why do I care about you? And if you can't do that, why are you on my TV? Mm -hmm. So. It is what it is. Indeed, sir. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of the road and everything. And um, I appreciate you giving me your voice to back. <laughs> I, I should play that in the background. I, I think I will. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, it's been real. I mean, it's been an enlightening chat as it's been with the past eight episodes. So um, let's go ahead and uh, ride on out, man. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Dude, the only social media I got anymore is on Twitter. I'm at Mile High Villain. If you have uh, any terrible critiques of the stuff that I had to say, uh, I probably totally expected, so it'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) So on behalf of myself and the Mile High Villain, ho, that's Hacksaw, he came back. Um, We're going to see you next time.